Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with conversations that are candid and are about human behaviour and technology. Brought to you by Kath Nibs. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. Today I'm joined by Nicole Dawson Cullinan. And Nicole is a classic homeopath. She's a functional health practitioner. She's the creator of Wellness International. And we are going to get into a number of beautiful conversations um, based on what we've just done off camera. So first of all, Nicole, thank you for, for coming and having this time with me. I'm really interested in why you do what you do and also for uh, the listeners and, and viewers, what is a homeopath? Because it's it's a job title that comes with a lot of ridicule if people don't understand it. So, yeah, welcome. And, you know, start start with whichever question you want to. <laughs> thanks, Kath. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the opportunity to, to share. So, I guess um, my journey into wellness or the wellness model of health began in the 90s when I studied homeopathy Mm. and so that was a starting point for me and I was young and idealistic I had a um, interest in psychology and um, dietetics but neither direction um, really satisfied my um, yeah, my desire for sort of a, being involved in a, in a holistic system. Mm-hmm. So um, I grew up in South Africa, and South Africa in the 80s and the 70s was really, um, there was a lot of a backdrop to a lot of revolutionary change, and it was really, that's when I came of age. And um, I basically yes I came of age in a time where um, there was a a regime change and in that chaos I think that a lot of um, systems in health were allowed to flourish uh, where they weren't necessarily accepted or allowed to flourish in other parts of the world or in other first world countries so so it was a kind of a petri dish um, where we were quite isolated um, because of international sanctions and at the same time, you know, on the top of, of, of Africa, you, you lo- the, the location is isolated as well. So, mm. so I feel like um, there wasn't a stigma so much with homeopathy and um, it had been banned, but it also was allowed to flourish alongside um, chiropractic, um, aromatherapy, reflexology, and um, those types of allied health fields. So it was really only um, maybe in the 2000s that my colleagues and I really sensed that there was a um, fairly well-orchestrated international um, drive to discredit homeopathy. And, And actually, I got to the point where I thought, this is not me. I'm not a homeopath. In fact, I don't want to be a homeopath. Mm-hmm. And I moved away from homeopathy um, uh, for many years. And I really felt like I'd wasted, you know, six years of study and years and years of um, of practice. And it was only through my patients who encouraged me to, ca- to continue. I mean, they were confounded as to why are you giving up? 
And um, and I guess, yes, I got sick of being, you know, you introduce yourself at a, a social gathering or a party and, and, and you get this response where people go, ah, oh. So my husband and I, who's a, my husband's a chiropractor, so we'd go home and we'd laugh afterwards and say, well, we're the R doctors because that's the reaction that people give you. <laughs> yeah. you go, I'm a homeopath and he's a chiropractor. Oh, <laughs> you know, mm. now what? Mm -hmm. And and then the, the response is either, you know, just um, people feel like you either the mixture of a, a heretic and a charlatan or you have the opposite extreme where people have had amazing results and they just think that you are they put you on a pedestal yeah so it's a very i found it a very difficult role to um to sustain and um and then i had my own personal health challenges with burnout and that is how it uh, i discovered and led into functional medicine and um through doing the tests and using the model of functional medicine, I managed to get myself functional again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, <laughs> and I also, you know, I, I started to marry the um, some of the tenets of homeopathy with some of the tenets of functional medicine. And so essentially, you know, the, 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 the overlap is that both systems, although they're extremely, they're, they're unique, um, both systems are um, uh, focused on personalization. And and so you know that that is something that I was already doing with homeopathy. So it came really naturally when I started to use the tools that functional medicine gave me. And um, and the other tenet is that um, you know the body of both of them is that the the body has self healing ability. Yeah. You know yeah. you give the right ingredients. You 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 plant. The person in the right environment with you know the good food and more nourishment that a system needs and you have health mm -hmm. um, so you know functional medicine terms it regenerative uh, medicine but homeopathy just uses the term of the body has self-healing ability um, yeah. and so there were quite a few overlaps which made the ability for me to marry the two systems fairly um intuitive and fairly just it just came naturally mm, mm, i'm i yeah i mean i i noticed that with um i'm going to use a a qualitative statement here um, and, and it's a bit of a quantifier good functional health practitioners also kind of um work with as as um actually as i discussed with shania that that tribal approach of i can't do everything myself so i'm going to outsource here and outsource there so you you've already got in-house the functional medicine uh, principles alongside your homeopathy and then that means that this person's also getting much more of a holistic approach with you rather than just using just functional medicine. and i'm doing that air quotes thing that just yeah. functional medicine approach because we need a bit more than just one perspective it's it's you know horses for courses and but actually you need a multidisciplinary approach yeah and and I, I see that with um some of my medical colleagues where um they've kind of moved over to using functional medicine but the mindset is still very much um systems based and mm. separate systems and so i really find that for them they have to almost um work at 
that holistic uh, sense of you know helping the person might require a whole community of therapists and um, you know needing a few different um, therapeutic skills but I guess where I come from it's always been uh, the opposite where I've always um, felt and known that uh, the holistic model um, is is just so uh, encompassing um, and that's what we need we need reconnection with all these separate parts yeah. and because we are really just one system and um, so yes I mean I think that's where I've um, now that I've um, moved from South Africa to the Netherlands and not in a, a full-time clinical practice anymore, I've been struck by um, how um, the mindset um, is one of, um, you know, it's, it's more of a disease mindset. And so I guess my new mission is not really homeopathic or functional medicine per se, but more wellness mindset um, education um, to try to get um, the, the public more aware that there actually are more options in health and that they really, you know, people aren't going to make different choices if they don't know they have more options so mm -hmm. i'm really yeah. helping trying to plant seeds in people's minds so that they can ask those questions and we can try to turn the tide um, and create a more integrative model of medicine mm -hmm. that serves more people yeah. and especially you know we have i think the biggest problem that we have at the moment is this um, pandemic of um chronic illness and um uh, you know, the big thought leaders in functional medicine like Jeffrey Bland are saying things like there's a pandemic within the pandemic. Yep, the, yep. You know, the, the, the COVID pandemic is basically just the tip of the iceberg. We, we need to be looking deeper and looking at the, mm -hmm. the pandemic of chronic illness, um, which is... Yeah. You know, so, so I um, yes, and and I did see the um, the article. I've not read all of it actually, too. So I'm going to hands up and say, mm, yeah, I'm supposed to do that as a researcher, but I haven't actually gone all the way through it. Um, this is something that that's come out of much of the literature in terms of psychotherapy, um, counselling, psychology, is that the pandemic that I suppose we're looking at is we would call that systemic trauma. You know that, that there's systemic trauma and the trauma leads to those chronic illnesses and chronic illnesses are because of the traumas of political issues um you know right the way across the world we've got um financial issues we've got socio-economic issues we've got food issues we've got mm -hmm. transport issues mm -hmm. everything seems to be about the human race at the moment is struggling as a whole mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm wondering, actually, if it's a bit of a, a meta view, actually, that, that COVID has given us that moment to sit down and think we've got, I mean, we've got a world crisis. We are, you know, creating problems for the planet. So the planet is also suffering trauma based yeah. on, you know, what, what we as a species are doing. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I'm massively in support of this um, pandemic within the pandemic phraseology. And I, I like the fact that Jeffrey Bland brought, brought it out in functional medicine. Yes. And for me, there's the, there's the thing about, I think, other, um, other professions, other areas, other roles are beginning to talk about the same thing, but we all call it something different, perhaps. 
Yeah, so maybe the language that people mm. are using is different, but yeah. essentially, so a wellness mindset really in, doesn't really matter whether we're talking about health or yeah. environment or business. Um, uh, to me, it's 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 a way of looking at things as a sort mm -hmm. of a mm -hmm. systems ecology, yeah. and and so yeah, I think. Um, it struck me moving from from a, a third world country or a country, a, a third world country with first world elements to to Europe, and it struck me that actually there's such disconnection with nature that that mm -hmm. to me was the root of a lot of um, continued trauma. You know, yeah. because I think if you if you you know something goes wrong, it might not be something that was even within your control. Um, but the way you continue along a certain path can continue uh, to perpetuate, you know, the, the effects of trauma. So, so yeah. to me, it's, it's about reconnection. And, and I guess that's what mm -hmm. I did in terms of helping heal my own burnout. Um, you know, it was about basically living in align with, with myself again, living in flow and living in alignment with yourself is basically just a uh, sort of a microcosm of living in uh, in alignment with the, the the bigger picture you know our, our world our environment our um our, our macrocosm so um so yes I, I think this wellness mindset for me is is bigger than homeopathy it's bigger than functional medicine and it certainly has the power to 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 heal a lot of broken systems um in yes. business and you know and and so yes so i think that the 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 maybe one of the biggest problems that we are dealing with now that that covid has highlighted is um uh is is this pandemic of chronic illness and now how are we going to fix it and 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 fixing the the chronic illness in, in humans i think also would um require uh, looking outside of ourselves and fixing yeah. Our, yeah. our our food systems, our you know um, the way business is done, the capitalist sort of um, constructs that run um, health, for instance, um, and and just yeah, looking at the environment and looking at where is this biodiversity going and the loss of species and you know the extinct, uh, um, extinction of of so many species at the moment. So. So for me, the, 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 the big focus has been one with reconnection with nature mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, in order to heal the internal um, trauma, if you want to call it Absolutely. I, um, and for those who are listening, I have been nodding voraciously whilst you've been talking, going, yes, yes, this is what, this is, this is the way, this, <laughs> this is the way. And it's, it's, it's so important that as human beings, we start to go from that, um, I'm just thinking, Ken Wilber's probably got the best terminology for this, from being egocentric to world-centric. If we begin to think about what we are doing, the impact we're having on our, our ecosystems, on the planet, for, uh, for each other, you know, building compassion, empathy, connection, those, those are the things that also provide that nurture environment for the healing to take place. And, mm -hmm. and I think what we have had is, you know, Mother Nature's kind of gone, okay, you lot, <laughs> you've misbehaved far too long you're, you're really not helping each other you're becoming you know very very self-centered and e e egocentric driven okay I'm going to give you a lesson <laughs> for me there's something about I think that's where we are as a, a species and, and perhaps you know it does sound a little bit woo-woo 
yeah you know mother nature kind of went oh all right all right you know like a, a mum does where she goes okay you lot enough mess tidy up now yeah it makes me think of jane goodall um she's i've been following her on facebook and she's having this these master classes at the moment and and uh, and she really kind of um sort of is telling the world that you know what have we been doing and we've got to stop it now and so i just think of i think of her when it comes to uh, mm -hmm. you know, the need for environmental reform and she's like this grandmother when it comes to um um Oh, she's been doing it her whole life and now she's sitting back and kind of going i told you so and um yeah. we have to and fix I, this I, somehow yeah and i think if you if you take that functional medicine principle of mitochondrial eve we are driven by a very female force and and sometimes i think that actually that's what it is it would be a female that would would come forward and say right okay now enough yeah. is enough yeah um, so you know to, to use the phrase of mother nature i think that yeah yeah we, we so, but for, for me i because i suppose growing up very racially polarized situation i'm always very alert to polarization mm -hmm. and so I, I honestly feel like the healing for us as humans and our planet potentially is through integration of um you know the masculine with the feminine per se because mm -hmm. they both have um have value and um and one uh, without the other is out of balance so to me it's about integration and that's always been the challenge for me with health as well is to say well we have crisis care in medicine and it's extremely necessary in fact you know you broken arm car accident um trauma you know um there are situations where you need crisis medicine and um but on the other hand it's this um I guess a pandemic of chronic illness that is not served by the crisis care mindset, and so I think people would be so much better served if, if um, the the medis medical model um, could be more integrative, and allow for crisis care to happen in crisis care situations, but not to kind of treat um, an inflammatory. Um, problem with um, a crisis mm -hmm. care mindset. So integration, and I, I think, is is key on on all levels for for healing. Um, absolutely. So in in uh, trauma theory, we talk about the fragmentation, uh, and and for me, that's exactly what the society is at the moment. Is yes. we are so fragmented, fragmented that, mm -hmm. that that integration is bringing it back into the whole, the gestalt, and you know, and and I think for me coming from the, the perspective that I have where I'm moving into functional medicine to kind of bridge the gap between um, the kind of mental, biopsychosocial, I'm now kind of going, okay, and we need this other level of um, basically all of the parts. I can't, I can't fix a clock if I only have some of the parts. Yes. So uh, not that I'm making my, my patients and clients sound like clocks, but for me, you, you have to have a fully, um, um, a fully collaborative system that works together cohesively mm -hmm. and and the only way you can do that is by making sure that all of the parts are well oiled maintained run together they run smoothly that the cogs actually intertwine and etc etc so when when i'm talking to my patients and clients i talk about that and i say so if you've got a cog that's got broken teeth on it you're not going to work as yeah. well as you could if you had all of these parts um and i was because thinking 
because we are a complex system so yes. you need a yeah. complex solution mm-hmm. and you know sometimes it's just it's definitely more work to to work with a complex solution mm-hmm. or a number of solutions but so i can understand that for simplicity's sake people yearn for the magic bullet or just to kind of simplify so that people you know take one medication and it fixes everything but mm-hmm. the reality is is complexity and um and that is why you know functional medicine and epigenetics and nutrigenomics basically um explain a lot of that complex complexity yeah. Yeah. and help us to focus our interventions for the individual so that mm-hmm. someone doesn't have to do everything and then become overwhelmed and, and give up or you know not um, make headway yeah I wonder if that's been the pressure that that individuals have felt as practitioners you know whether you're the the homeopathist or you know acupuncturist whether you're a psychotherapist or or whatever I wonder if we felt that we're the ones that are supposed to have the magic tool and and I know from talking to colleagues Mm -hmm. this is quite uh, quite common that we we felt that we're supposed to have the answers and rather than being um consciously incompetent and saying actually I don't know about that area mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I need somebody to assist me mm-hmm. um so so my clients get sent all over the place I'll send them off for massages I send them off to go and see an acupuncturist to go and mm-hmm. see a homeopathist uh, aromatherapist it, whatever that person seems to be needing is where I will say you know not only do you work with me in this session you need to do this other mm-hmm. stuff to make sure that your body's getting that that full that full complex um attention yeah, yeah yeah because i i also see at the other end of the spectrum and i don't know if you 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 kind of notice this that we're also pushing for this optimal health and and what i do see is that that narrative that's driven by a lot of the biohacking community and i'm mm-hmm. using the biohacking community because it's it's a well-known community to talk about this yes they're the a a driven well a type personalities which i don't usually do diagnoses but We'll just stick with that terminology for the minute because I think people understand it. Yeah. They're the ones who want to be the the outliers. They're the ones who want to have this absolutely critical, optimal health. And I'm not sure that's even achievable. So I like this word that you use, wellness. Yeah, I, I think that yeah. essentially, you know, we have uh, we have to take into account human nature. Yeah. And, you know, human nature is diverse. Um and you know you, you you will have the outliers and the early adopters, and then you have the sheep, and then you have people that just resist change and resist anything new, and there's a lot of fear associated. And so I think this is actually human nature, and um, yeah, and and that is where I feel the personalization process um, is is very appropriate because then you don't force anybody to do things that they don't want to do or feel comfortable yeah. doing or, or, or actually can do so you know this is also about um being mindful of people's readiness for change readiness to heal yeah and 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 then you know i think some people do need all those extra um tools or therapies or supportive uh, or self-help biohacking strategies I, you know, I think i think for me it's really just about um being aware that 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 it, 
you know, it might be easy, the easiest approach to, to search for that one magic bullet because it's human nature not to struggle or not to want to struggle. But uh, sometimes... It's uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> People you know, don't want to And I, I, I get that. I've been out of, um, out of my comfort zone now um, for some time and um, I chose it, which makes it worse, <laughs> you know. So I think yeah. maybe for people where they're forced out by forces um, beyond their control, maybe it's a different uh, dynamic. Um, but I, I think yes. that being out of your comfort zone is obviously a growth. If you see it that way, you know, it can be a growth zone. And it, uh, to me, it's, it's been a challenge to um, accept the struggle as well and, and not try to diagnose it away or um, yeah, um, medicate it away or, uh, or talk it away, for instance. It's really just a process to, to just um, um, follow and be an observer and, and just um, yeah, network and share and, and so many other people are really feeling exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, I think that's where um, James Maskell's approach comes in really nicely because he talks about, you know, um, he doesn't use the word communitas. He tends to use the word community. Um, and I'm, I'm more about, you know, when when you can get communitas, which is that that feel that um, that feeling that you get when you're in a community and it's a feeling of belonging and knowing and, and, and a little bit more Acceptance. than saying I belong belong to a community. And he talks about, you know, this is the way of healing. And so many um, trauma therapists will, will say, so I'm, I'm known for saying you can't talk your way out of trauma. And I've trained in talking therapy. But what I realized is it's much more than that. So, so there has to be this other element. And this idea of um, trauma therapies will say healing takes place in relationships. Well, absolutely it does, because that's yeah. who we are as, as mm -hmm. a species. And, you know, and that's taking the perspective of mammals rather than saying humans. Yeah. We are a, a, a set of human beings yeah. that need to be in connection with each other. And we need yeah. to have that, that mirror. Maybe. But also, yeah, we need oh. to have the, the, the matched energies and the knowingness and all of those you know, the unconscious processes, which nobody can quite get their finger on to mm -hmm. say what they are. But for me, that's the part about being human is this, this consciousness that drives us to be in connection with each other. And I think that is probably the linchpin of all of these different approaches, because mm -hmm. I suspect when you're working as a, a, a homeopathist, you're not giving somebody a vial and saying right go away and take that you're talking to them you're asking them questions and you're, you're getting in connection with them in fact you know i would say my um very early days one would obviously as a new um, um practitioner who's obviously get, trying to gain confidence one would do a lot of um prep and um to go down you know take extra care to choose the correct remedy for this patient and and then um would be surprised by sometimes the lack of results and over the years i started to experience the opposite where where i didn't really um uh, you know in terms of choosing a, a remedy um i was less um less caught up on the details and more just went with the flow and 
and then results were, were different. So it really, I think it's about the connection that you that you make with that one other person um, that actually is the point at which the healing starts. And then whatever else you add to it along the way, basically just keeps them on that path, keeps the momentum and keeps mm -hmm. them going forward. And, um, and, and I think it's quite a, it's quite a creative meeting because, um, and you know, I, it's been quite a interesting process for me because I never, really considered myself an artistic person my whole life. It took me being transplanted and being um, desperate to try to um, get my life back and my health back. It took me that to discovering myself as a creative person. And, and so I think, you know, you don't have to think of the people that are the artists and the dancers and the you know, I think creativity comes in many forms, and 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 for me, it was um, using my skills, my skill mm -hmm. set around mm -hmm. nutrition, and being a mother, and and also just have, feeling this 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 intense urge to reconnect with nature again. Yeah. And 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 nature in itself is creative. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of healing happens with a creative process in mind, um, whether it's something you. You, you, you're doing consciously or whether it's just something that just uh, happens um so would you be comfortable to talk about your your process in terms of what you what you said there about being transplanted about the creative process and i was thinking about so who who were these healing people within your life um obviously if you're comfortable to talk about that nicole yes I, you know i think i've always been extremely um independent and um, and then my husband is a chiropractor, and so him and I were a very strong team, both in business and both as a as a marriage. Mm -hmm. So um, so I would say probably he's been my greatest supporter and my greatest mentor over the years. And um, and the rest I've just kind of gone it alone most of the time, you know, because I've always had quite. Um, different ideas you know studying to be a homeopath that just you know that set me apart right when I was 18 so so yeah that's me and and so I think um what I was surprised to find was that um when one is transplanted and you you strip away your your um career and your identity that you that you have in a particular place or the identity that you that is associated with a certain place, you, you really are left with the core of who you are. And that can be quite a discovery and mm -hmm. that can also be quite scary. And, and so I discovered this creative person and um, started to use um, um, cooking and creating wholesome meals for my family using color um, as part of my healing process. And then that basically gave me such sort of, um, you know, it was my dopamine, um, um, what you call a dose or, you know, every time I, I, um, I made a brilliant, what I thought was a, a meal that was tasty, colorful, and everyone enjoyed, I was like, wow, okay, let's, let's take a photograph of this. Yeah. <laughs> And so that kind of propelled me into um, into just amateur photography. And um, but essentially, 
further along the line, it propelled me into creating content to inspire and empower other people so that you don't have to, because I think that with functional medicine, there's a price tag and a lot of people don't know about it in South Africa, uh, in, um, yeah, the whole world, but particularly yeah, in Europe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and with homeopathy, there's another uh, association where people think it's a bit too fringe. So I was thinking, well, you know, I, I feel like I've got so much experience to share and I don't want to scare people away with homeopathy and this unknown functional medicine entity. Mm-hmm. So that is how, you know, my focus on wellness became um, just um, so inspiring for me. And and so, yeah, it was really just a process of um, uh, dealing with my own inner demons and using creativity and using um, reconnection with nature to um, find peace with the process and then to also reach out and share and make connections outside, um, particularly around other mothers that mm-hmm. were also transplanted yeah. that had health issues with themselves and their families. And so basically, mm-hmm. yeah, I always kind of um, repeat to people over and again how, you know, if food is your medicine, then, yeah. you know, you're starting it with the pharmacy in your kitchen and your garden. And, and as a mother, not all mothers like to be cooking, but, you know, there are obviously all sorts of convenience tricks that one can, can use. Um, but if you commit to the idea that, um, um, you know, food can be medicine, um, then uh, that, 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 that unites us because we all have to eat. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so I'm, I'm quite interested in, in asking you about how, so uh, first of all, I know that we talked off camera about, so, and there's so much we could go through. And I'm just thinking, Nicole, that instead yeah, of just focus. Questions, <laughs> questions I want to ask. Um, um, the, what what you were looking at was uh, motherhood and this idea of of burnout which is often associated with that that um drive to be the perfect mother isn't it you know the one who has to work clean cook um and do all of the other duties the super mom uh-huh yeah so do you want to talk a little bit about what you do in terms of the burnout and and how you help mothers and what it is that you do because you know well i think the most important the most important thing is for people to recognize that burnout comes in many forms Mm -hmm. so a lot of people go well i'm not burnt out so that's not me but burnout comes in many forms and um it often manifests itself as a thyroid problem or depression or chronic pain or chronic viral infections, uh, sleeplessness, hormonal problems. So, you know, when you mention all those types of illnesses, people go, but that's me, but that's me, but that's me. So, um, so burnout is the extreme mm-hmm. manifestation and it's often associated with men in the workplace. Yes. So a lot of the um, sort of literature and research out there is associated with men in the workplace. So for me, I felt um, that, you know, because of my personal experience, I felt like um, this, this burning desire to really help women recognize um, if they are at risk. And so the women that are at risk, um, you know, they don't even have to be mothers, but they're generally your high achievers. Yeah. So, uh, and high achievers tend to take too much on and obviously, you know, push, you know, your A-type personality 
you mm-hmm. know, crops its head up again. So, so I, I think that's been my approach has been to say, well, um, try to recognize um, these signs before they, they, they manifest as a, as a full-blown mm-hmm. burnout. Yeah. And, and the other thing, so what I would do is, is obviously um, help people know themselves, know what their stresses are, know what, what their triggers are, know the individual chinks in their armor, you know, using the epigenetic um, profiles that are available and, and the functional um, biomarking, biomarker tests. So, you know, those are all tools mm-hmm. that can give us more clarity as yeah. to how to focus for that person um, their lifestyle, uh, a new lifestyle or create a, like a bespoke um, protocol for them. So, yes, I think that um, uh, the thing about burnout and motherhood is that um, since, since women have entered the workplace, they have now been doing two, having two roles and yeah. that would be managing the home and having the career on the side. So, um, we're at a point now where we most of us realize we can't do it all the time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. at that you know high level so it's uh, something has to give and usually it's the mother's health or the woman's health yeah. that gives I, so, I, think, I think I used to see that there were there were two approaches weren't there there was you did your your motherhood first and then your career or you did the career and then the motherhood but over the last I'm going to say probably 20 years I think that's where this dual role uh, you know, mother and career. Yeah. So it's a balancing act. So yeah. it's, in fact, it's both a balancing or a juggling act and a marathon. You know, so I, so I kind of use that analogy of like, you know, I can't even juggle. So, you know, for me, it's like, why do I even, why do people even try to juggle all these things? And then at the same time, you know, you you have this, motherhood that starts with day one when you bring the baby home or maybe you know the baby in, in the mm-hmm. belly mm-hmm. and it ends when oh like 50 years later so it really is a marathon and if you want to have the vitality and the resilience to to enjoy your family and your your kids and your your, your grandkids then one has to um really be mindful of this marathon and, and mm-hmm. conserve your your own um your own vitality it's, it's as selfish as that. In fact, that's probably yeah. the big thing is that it comes down, boils down to it's like, you know, it's put that oxygen mask on your mouth before you attend to the needs of your, your family and your colleagues and your pets and your, you know, all the dependents in your life. It's, it's, you know, when you sit in the airplane and they read out that safety message, that's essentially the best analogy for mm-hmm. um, recovering, um, helping mothers recover from burnout is the concept of um, securing your own oxygen. Yes. And do you, do you find, because um, I know I certainly do in therapy, that uh, women find that, that message really difficult because it, it's almost like they've never been, if you like, allowed to put themselves first. It, it, the societal message is, you know, children first, pets first, husband first, job first. And, and the idea of saying, okay, you need to turn this 180 degrees is really quite... <gasps> shocking for a lot of women is uh, I think it feels selfish mm-hmm. it feels, feels selfish and that goes against the uh the instinct the woman's instinct of of being the nurturer the caregiver yeah. and the self-sacrifice that goes along with those very 
deep archetypal type uh, roles. Yeah. So I, th I think yeah. we're up against what society has told us, what our role models have told us, and then we're up against what's instinctive. And mm. some of us are, are maybe a little bit more tuned into that. I think, um, I think we have a whole um, new generation of kids where there's a lot of... Um, or let's call it dual sexuality and I'm going to be very I'm very interested to know how these roles are going to affect um, families down the line yeah um, you know and this flexible sexuality and and um, the roles being being more flexible I, I mean I can only hope that it's a, a healing um, evolution but one doesn't know I absolutely I think in in terms of what where my head went just then as you said that was uh, there is something about that is more um accepting there's less um disintegration mm -hmm. there's less uh, of that black and white polarity that you talked about earlier in terms of it's that's what conceptual whole is isn't it is it's the the amalgamation of as i'm now actually going to use a term from dan siegel it's integrated and differentiated so all roles work together all roles work um, apart and you know for me there's something about I think society is is now changing in terms of we're, we're going to have this allowance because um, I, I know it certainly took me till I was my late 30s before I I dropped this role of others first myself second because that was the message given and yet I had um, the, the drive to be that perfect person and and yeah, it was impossible. It was absolutely impossible. Um, I think the high achieving perfectionists are the ones that are at greatest risks. And if you happen to have a really robust system and you happen to have vitality, then you will push it until the nth <laughs> degree. It's yeah. those. You know, <laughs> it's often like, so for instance, I burnt out relatively early and it's because um, you know, in the epigenetic sense, I'm a canary in the coal mine and I didn't know it at that point. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was forced to make changes at a relatively young age. And, um, but I know for some people that are, have a lot more, uh, you know, robust genetic or epigenetic makeup, less challenge, um, you, you, you can, you can push it longer, <laughs> but eventually it catches up. Yes. Yeah, and, and I think that's where self-awareness, I think this is the journey of self-awareness, isn't it? Is it sometimes takes people that, that extra that extra mile to work to work yeah. it out. I'm just thinking about what Corinna said the other week, that it's this idea of we can we can show these people um their issues, we can give them advice, but people have mm -hmm. to come to their own conclusion in their own time. Mm -hmm. Um and, and when you were talking about it earlier, I was thinking about the coach that once said to me, um, so how, how long has that client been in therapy? And I said, oh, I, I've got some that are in six weeks. They do the work, they're out, they're gone. And others take years. Yeah. Years? You know, her eyes nearly popped out. Years? Years? And I said, yes, because some people take years. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's how it is. There's, there's no rushing self-awareness and self-development. Yeah. I think it's, you know, the two things there are the readiness to learn, sorry, readiness to heal, which is also, yeah. I suppose, about being open to being teachable and learning and and, and able to look at yourself uh, critically. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, that is something where timing is everything. Um, permissions. I also think there's, there's yeah. permissions as well, yeah. isn't there? From, and, and I wonder, actually, if that's a better word to explain the, the new yeah. kind of sexuality. Actually, there's more permissions now to be that human, to take that time. 
to heal in the way that you need to at at your own pace personalized yes yeah i think we will see the the um impact of that as we come out of uh, lockdown for the, the entire world people will have their own healing journeys from this particular um community trauma worldwide community trauma yeah i think what scares me the most is is the mental health fallout and whether you know where where that takes um uh, communities um whether the communities themselves have the inherent support structures to manage it or whether it it causes a bit of um you know self-destruct so um that's what i suppose personally i mean my half of me is still in south africa so you know it's like i still have maybe two limbs missing because they're there and so that's why i can see how the first world lockdown has yeah. has worked in a certain way but um the imposition of first world lockdown in third world countries is um is a recipe for for disaster health and mental health so yes absolutely let's just hope that there are some inherent um you know safety nets and um, mm. and, and structures that that keep people from self destruct yeah so do I actually I, I I share the same the same kind of fears there in terms of you know and I know that mostly the uh, the mental health model in this country follows pretty much uh, that medical model which is find the cure you know it's that diagnose medicate that's the cure yeah, the label and then the magic bullet yeah which mm-hmm. you know that that worries me about what I will see as a, a therapist in years to come because you know we know we know that actually it's it's that approach of being compassionate caring empathic taking the time to find you know what it is that this person may need and that's that's that holistic approach that we were talking about right at the very beginning when when we started this conversation so yeah i i do I think it's a kind of, there's this new term that I came up with recently and I just love it. It's called a chaotic or chaotic system. And it was, um, uh, I think, coined by um, the founder of Visa. And it's basically the, the, the combination of chaos and order. Mm-hmm. And so, and the, the, the link between uh, the chaos and order is how creativity helps to um, sort of toggle between those two extremes. And so I'm hoping that out of this chaotic time that the world has been involved with, that, um, that, the, that individual, individual communities will be able to use their own uh, resources and creative processes to toggle between the chaos mm-hmm. and create order and create stability again and health. Yeah. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to finish. Actually, Nicole, that was lovely what you've just said there. So I think that would be, that's a beautiful place to stop. So, you know, thank you so much for your your time and your compassion and your your conversation today. Thank you, Kath. I loved it. I, I, yeah, I, I know we said we were going to talk about other things when we started and we've not gone anywhere. I can't here. remember what we said we were going to talk about. It's just been a, a yeah, whirlwind. We've, we've meandered, but actually we've, we've naturally and organically meandered into yes. I think, what, what was a beautiful conversation. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Take care. podcast was edited by Rory Kavanagh. 
an audio enthusiast, a music producer.